0: Let's pray. Great are you, O Lord. Father, thank you for being able to bring your word this morning. Lord, uh, uh, I pray that you would help me to be able to do that, Lord. I'm, I'm weak, but you're strong, Lord. And let your weak person, Lord, um, preach your words so that the church may be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Mike Delaney, and before coming to Windsor Community Church, I was an elder in a small church. I loved being an elder, and I loved serving God's people in this way. I never thought that I would not be an elder in this church or leave the church. What led to this painful departure was confliction, and the elders, the team of elders, we were, convic- con, um, we were conflicted on things such as should women be pastors in the church? Should we expect God to speak to us outside of His Word? The elevation of prayer over the preaching of God's Word. Regardless of who was right or wrong, um, it it uh, it dis- disrupted our unison and it affected our ability to be able to lead the church like it should be. Uh, it was painful, and um, ultimately it was unbearable, and we felt like we had to leave. Perhaps you have been in a similar situation, maybe not as an elder, but as a, a member in a body where you felt like God's word was not central and that the church was drifting away from it. Or maybe the leadership in the church had caused you to be hurt and leave or someone that you know to be hurt. My prayer is that this passage in chapter 1 of Titus will encourage you to be thankful to be a part of Windsor Community Church where we are led by an imperfect plurality of elders. Who lead us by their example, in their conduct, their character, their competence, and who defend the truth by confronting and correcting. A healthy church must have biblically qualified elders. A healthy church must have biblically qualified elders. So what is an elder and why is it important to the church? This passage in Titus is one of a few places in scripture that gives us clear instructions on the qualifications and the roles of elders in the church. David Morgan did a great job last week opening up the book of Titus and he developed who the author of the letter was, Apostle Paul, a servant of God and who the letter was written to, Titus, his true and faithful, sir, uh, his true child in a common faith, and why it was written, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which is accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. Timothy 1, Titus 1.1. One, one. Paul has been entrusted by the command of God to preach the knowledge of the truth. This had been Paul's ministry for the past 30 years, preaching God's truth and strengthening the church. Titus was Paul's faithful worker in the faith over the years, and and now he would be past the baton. News had come to Paul that the churches at Crete, an island in the Mediterranean Sea, had been upset by counterfeit leaders, teaching things that they should not teach. Paul had been on the island before when his ship sought protection from strong winds that really forced them onto the island. And we're told in Acts 27 that he was there a considerable amount of days. But there's nothing mentioned of his interactions with the Cretan people or his time on the island. We know very little About the Cretans but what we do know is that on the day of Pentecost there were some Cretans that were with others speaking the mighty deeds of God while they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 so we can assume that on the island there were some believers but as we will see the church leaders in Crete were weak and unqualified where there are unqualified church leaders, there is a sick church. And scripture refers to these leaders as elders. Let's look at our passage for today in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you would put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This would be Titus' mission in Crete, to purify the church so that they could live and mature as the people of God. And the first step towards that is as ha- a healthy church is to have healthy or biblically qualified elders. Let's start with a misconception of what an elder is. Here's a quote from Alexander Strach in his book, Biblical Eldership. When most Christians hear of church leaders, elders, they think of an official church board, lay officials, influential people within the local church, or advisors to the pastor. They think of elders as policy makers, financial officers, fundraisers, or administrators. They don't expect church elders to teach the word or to be involved pastorally in the lives of people. There's a lot of foggy ideas in the church today today of what elders are and what they do the word elder is mentioned in our passage in verse 5 appoint elders this word is translated presbyteros in the greek meaning someone over an assembly of believers a similar word to elder is found in verse 7 the word overseer and it is mentioned and is translated episkopos meaning one who serves as a leader in the church. These two words are used interchangeably in this passage and others, not describing different roles, but the same role. And it's important to note that an elder overseer is not a singular leader over the church. We can see a pattern of a plurality of overseer elders leading the church throughout the New Testament, The first being Jesus, the head shepherd, who appointed 12 men to be the first leaders of the church. And as they dispersed and the church grew, they followed his example by appointing a team of elders in every church. After Paul's first missionary journey, he established elders in each church. We see that in Acts 14.23. And when they appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In James chapter 5, verse 14, James uh, instructs the sick, let them call for the elders of the church. In Philippians, Paul greets the overseers and deacons in Philippi. And in this passage... Um, Paul says to Titus, "Appoint elders in every town." And the same meaning could be appointing elders in every church. In each, in each instance, elders, elder is plural, and the church is singular, pointing out that there's to be a plurality of elders in every church. This is the pastor past pattern for the New Testament church. To have a plurality of elders leading the body of believers. And they're to be appointed. This isn't just people that come forward, any old person. These people need to be appointed by elders, pastors. They need to be proven. And we will see how they will be proven coming up. Any healthy organization has good leadership. Leadership. And as Christ's church, that is, there is no exception. Which leads us to our first point today, is that healthy churches must have elders who lead by example. There, this is accomplished through three means. First, by their conduct. Let's read verses 6 and 7. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, And not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Above reproach is mentioned twice here, which is really important. Can you think of a time where you heard of a pastor being caught in adultery or getting a DUI? This is devastating for the church. And it gives Christ's church a bad name for those that are on the outside, leading them astray. Above reproach, this is a person who has an unblemished reputation as a Christian. So that there is nothing that can be brought up against them that would, that would cause harm or the credibility of them as leaders. They're to be the husband of one wife. An elder is a man. He's the husband of one wife, and the NIV translates this as faithful to his wife. This doesn't mean that an elder has to be married because we know that Apostle Paul wasn't married or his companion Timothy, but if an elder, but if the the man must be faithful to his wife if he is married. His children are believers. The, The principle is more about having children that are obedient in the home. We can get clarity from another parallel passage in 1 Timothy verses 3, 4, and through 5. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his faith, children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Utmost importance. They're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. An elder is not someone who is excessive in their luxuries or defiant towards authorities. If your elder has a 12,000 square foot house with a helicopter pad, there's probably a good chance that he's not being a good steward of God's resources. All of these areas speak to the elders' ability of being a steward of God's church. In Acts 20, 28, we read, Pay careful attention to yourselves and and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is Jesus' church, bought with his blood, And the overseers are to watch over it while our Lord is away. So elders are led, they lead by their conduct. And secondly, we see that they are that they lead by their character. First, five characteristics that an elder must not exemplify, and then seven characteristics that an elder must exemplify. Continuing in verse 7. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. He must not pursue his their own interests or push their hobby horses in their preaching. They're open to reason and correction. They're not quick-tempered. That's not to say that they may lose their temper, but they seek restoration and restoration Um, and reconciliation in doing so and exercise the gifts of the Spirit. They're not a drunkard. Ephesians 5, 18 says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This doesn't mean that an elder is not to drink alcohol, but not to be controlled by it. And caution needs to be used here to be above reproach. They're not to be violent. They're not quick to argue or quarrel or fight. Literally, not a striker. This is physical. Uh, They're not greedy for gain. They're not in it for dishonest money. They're, They're in it to protect Christ's church. Now, the seven characteristics an elder must exemplify let's read verses eight and nine. They're to be hospitable. A lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Hospitable literally means a friend of strangers. They love on people and they share their possessions and their home with others. An elder may or may not be an extrovert, but their home is always open to others. They're a lover of good. They're devoted to kindness and the encouragement of others. Self-controlled, used five times in this book alone. They're they're sensible in their behavior. They're modest, upright. When faced with decisions, they compare them to what God's words requires and not on a feeling or a whim. They, They operate primarily with the wisdom from above, not human wisdom, holy, they're dedicated, loyal servants, disciplined, they're a lover of good, disciplined in all things. This is a tall order, and I'm sure that all of our elders would say that um, they at some point don't meet these perfectly perfectly. because there is no such thing as a perfect person. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. This is crucial when it comes to leading God's people. The elder must cling to the word of God because it's the trustworthy statement in Titus 3.8. It's tried and true, the psalmist says. The word of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on earth refined seven times. And the prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. There's nothing more important or long-lasting as the word of God. It is God's instruction for the church of all time. And it contains everything we need to know about our Savior It contains everything we need to know about how to worship him and how we are to live as the people of God. And then elders must stick to it. We've seen Paul encourage Titus, the elders are to be led by their conduct, their character, and now we'll see by their competence. Let's read verse 9, continuing in verse 9 so that they may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. John Calvin, the early church reformer, says, a pastor needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep, and the other for driving the wolves and the thieves away. Your pastor elders must be skilled enough in the scriptures that they can teach And encourage God's people by God's Word and an advantage of a plurality of elders is that they can hold each other accountable from teaching error and elders elders lead us by their character their their conduct and their competence but they also must protect the Word of God and his people which leads to our next point Healthy churches must have elders who defend the truth. Verse 10 For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. These insubordinate, empty talkers are not subject to sound teaching. Instead, they teach what they want. They're not accountable to anyone but themselves. Although they may be phenomenal communicators or who are elevated for their speaking ability or their entertainment value, they lack anything that is of spiritual substance. Today we have the churches plagued with many, many false truths. One of them being the Word of Faith and Prosperity Gospel Movement that is plaguing our church. And when the sick are told that they will be healed and they're not healed, then this leads to their disappointment in God. As if being a part of a church with this teaching was bad enough, some of us subject ourselves to faulty teaching through the TV, radio, and podcasts. Many of these teachings sound good if they are presented they're presented in a way that's pleasing. Uh, these, these people are deceiving if, uh, you know, but the more that someone knows the truth, the, the, the least chance they have of being deceived. And we must be on guard. At the time that this letter was written, the threat was the circumcision party. They were the Judaizers, those Jewish Christians Who taught a hybrid Christianity? Jewish ceremonial laws, like the requirement to be circumcised to be saved, observance to dietary laws, plus Christianity. Error plus truth equals error, and that is what they're teaching. These teachers deceive others from the truth by their bad conduct, bad character and their lack of competence. This requires action on the elders in two forms. By confronting false teachers, look at verse 11. They must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. This is of urgent necessity as it relates to the health of God's people. They're not to be stopped from spreading error by brute force, but by confronting them with the sword of God's word, leaving them overwhelmed in their error. In verse 12, Paul gives an interesting quote from a famous Cretan prophet. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, quote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. This gives us more insight about the Cretans than anywhere else in scripture. That they were known for their lying, that they prey on the weak and defenseless so that they can profit by easy money. This is what they were known for for centuries. And Paul agrees with this statement. And it and it gives, and he uses it to give Titus a heads up of the people who he's going to be dealing with on the island. These false teachers being referred to is a prime example of believers not being discipled and under the teaching and authority of biblical elders. Bad teaching begets incorrect understanding, and it is a hindrance to the sanctification process. It slows the growth of the Christian in their being transformed to be more Christ-like when you get what you get are christians that are never they never move past needing milk they do not mature onto solid food confrontation is only half the battle the second form of defense is the restoration of those who would upset the church accomplished through elders by correcting false teachers Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Why doesn't Paul instruct Titus to load them up on a boat and ship them out to the middle of the ocean and sink the boat? After all, that would get rid of the threat, right? But Paul's heart here is for restoration, not annihilation. How is Paul to restore these false teachers of false doctrine? We see that he's to rebuke them sharply. Show them their sin of where they are wrong and teach them, not by opinions, not by feelings, but according to the trustworthy word, the scripture. The purpose of this rebuke is restoration so that they be sound in the faith. We can see how this restoration looks like in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Make no mistake about it that Paul or the Bible have zero tolerance for incorrect teaching. But restoration needs to happen. Those who would be restored through this rebuke of the elders will no longer listen to the lies crafted by false teachers. This is a sign of them becoming sound in the faith. They acknowledge and repent of a lack in God's faith in God's word, And the gospel in verse 14 because they no longer devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. Just as these leaders needed restoration, we do too. Before our faith in Christ, we were lost, heading in the wrong direction, dead in our sins and trespasses, And when we heard the glorious news of the gospel that Christ gave himself to redeem us, not because of the works that we have done, but according to his own mercy, when our eyes were opened to this truth and we responded in faith, we were restored. In the following verses, we will see the strong contrast between the believers and those false teachers who will continue in their disbelief. If restored, they'll be brothers in the faith who are made pure by Christ. But if they don't respond in repentance, they stand defiled. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are are defiled. The Judaizers placed an importance on the tradition and ceremonial Jewish laws as a means of purifying themselves. But to the true believer, they are made pure through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and they are no longer bound to the law. The defiled person is one who is morally filthy. They're unclean, and corrupt their ability to make decisions how they think how they see the world and their ability and their idea of knowing what is right and what's wrong they're contaminated by their lack of faith in the authority and sufficiency of God's word they're not sound in the faith let's look at verse 16 they profess to know God but they deny him by their works they're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. These false teachers deny Christ by holding firm to the trust they by not holding firm to the trustworthy word is taught. They're worthless as teachers in the eyes of God, because they neither lead by example or defend the faith, making them unfit to lead the church without the watchful eye of the qualified elders, these men can easily pull away Christians, new Christians, or those not sound in the faith. This passage should give us an idea, a clear idea of what a elder's looks like and what they do in the church. And, It should give us an appreciation of our plurality of elders who are not perfect. They're not superhumans, but ordinary men who labor together to lead us by their example and their defense of the truth. I encourage you to remember your elders and pray for them as it comes to your often that they would hold each other accountable in the teaching of God's Word, and that that they would continue to cling to the trustworthy Word as taught so that they can teach us to be sound in the faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank You that You have given us clarity on the leading of your church, Lord, that you've entrusted it to qualified men who are not perfect, Lord, but they hold firm to your truth, Lord. They open up the Bible and they preach it and they teach it, Lord. We pray that you would keep them strong, Lord, Pastor Dan, Pastor Chris, Pastor John, Pastor Jake, Pastor Jason, and Pastor Pat. Lord, we pray that you would be with each one of these godly men, that you would keep them from temptation, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their faith, and that you would enable them to lead us well and to protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.